When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Here we go. Back into the week, back into Football Social Daily and time to reflect on a weekend of Premier League action that marks exactly the one quarter way point into the Premier League season. And yeah, it feels like it's only just begun. All the reaction to yesterday's matches can be found with Fergal, Ant and Jay on the podcast stream, including a recap of that bill-topping clash between Manchester City and Liverpool. No doubt we'll talk about that a little bit on today's podcast too. And the reason that I think that could be the case is that I've got Marley Anderson and Nama Korn joining me on today's podcast. The focus of the show will be heroes and villains from the Premier League weekend, picking out the very best and very worst of what has occurred over the last two days of matches. And I'm sure that Manchester City-Liverpool game will be in amongst the best. How are we doing, boys? Good weekend? Yeah, not too bad. I watched the new James Bond movie yesterday. Are you going to... I've only just in... got out of the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to crowbar in loads of torturous James Bond's references like no. every single other bit of football coverage over the weekend? Do you know what? He couldn't, he could, even if he did, he couldn't do his worst job of Martin Tyler yesterday. I didn't actually did you hear, this? hear no, I didn't. Martin Tyler's commentary. Swept. At one point, Milner dropped Foden and he was like, James Milner, number seven, no time to dive. And it was like, well, that didn't, didn't fit at all. But thanks, Martin. You've clearly been... Yeah, you know, keeping up with what's yeah. going on at the cinema, you ball bag. I don't, <laughs> I don't have the brain power this morning to be able to come up with any James Bond puns. But um, I think that's for the best, to be honest with you. Yes. We, yeah. are, we are going to get on to heroes and villains. Speaking of James Bond very shortly, but we're going to start with the Pozzo family, who could easily... I don't even get an introduction this morning. <laughs> I, said, I said hello to you. <laughs> Calm down, uh, wind your neck good. in, Marley. Let's just talk about Watford. Like I say, could have picked the Pozzo family as villains of the week sacking their 14th Watford manager since they took over the club in 2011. Not even counting the heinous sacking of mascot Harry the Horner either. 14 (laughs) managers in 10 years. Imagine the cost of the business cards alone. The latest casualty is Zisco Minnows after just 10 months in charge. This felt like it came a little bit out of the blue, Marley, because we were talking a couple of podcasts ago about who was in the sack race, which Premier League managers were likely to get kicked out first. And I don't think his name came up at all. So I don't think any of us were expecting, despite Watford's history and the mm. board's history of getting rid of managers, none of us expected him to go. No, it was probably quite naive on our part, really, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> to, to ignore the, te- uh, the team that has gone through 16 managers since 2011. That's, uh, that's probably pretty silly on our part, but... I'm glad he's gone because it means you don't have to butcher his surname every uh, every week. <laughs> well, there'll be someone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, not if Claudio Ranieri comes in. He's he's a classic. Uh, I think he's been linked. I can't I can't go through the pain of seeing Ranieri feel again and then sack get sacked again. I don't want to <laughs> mm. see that. I'm, I'm bored of seeing him get sacked. I can't go through the pain of them appointing Kike Sanchez Flores again <laughs> Jesus, on yeah. another two year contract. I'm convinced <laughs> they've got like at Vicarage Road one of those. 
you know, fire alarm, which is break glass in case of emergency. Yeah. And it's just like a piece of paper with Kike Sanchez Flores' phone number on it. emergency, break for Kike. <laughs> I, I think it's just more like a big wheel with loads of people's names on. Yeah. <laughs> and they just spin it every now and again. I mean, but seven points from seven games, Niall, it's not a bad start no. for Watford. It could have been so much worse. Absolutely. I think that I'm surprised but not shocked mm. that he's been sacked because... You can't adhere to expectations at Watford. You have to exceed them as a manager. That's just the way it works. You kind of have to be ahead of the race if you're a Watford manager. Considering seven points from seven games, I think that that is a decent return for a side who's just been promoted back to the Premier League. And actually what they showed on that opening day with that 3-0 victory over Aston Villa, they showed that they do have potential going forward. And as you say, we're a quarter of the way through the season and they felt that the time is right to twist and go for a different manager. It could have been so much worse. You look at Norwich City, who were better than Watford in the Championship last season. They're rock bottom of the table, and their manager's on the worst losing streak in the history of the competition. Scored two goals. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, like I say, I'm surprised, but I'm not shocked. How can you be shocked when, as Marley says, they've gone through 14 managers in the last 10 years or so? You know, and if you look at some of the names... Some of them are managers who who have gone on to manage bigger clubs. Some of them are managers who have had success at other clubs. Some of them are working in Asda right Some now. of them are working in Asda. <laughs> so it's just one of those where I'd feel like they can't ever settle with uh, with a name. And that's just the way it goes. And, you know, Chelsea have got this reputation for having a hiring-fire culture, but that brings them trophies. And what does it bring Watford? Going up well, and down and up and down like a yo-yo. I this mean, is something I wanted to mention because our default position when Watford sack a manager tends to be outrage and kind of that's no way to run a club and you need stability. But clearly, the way the Pozzo family want to run Watford as a football club is this constant, ever-evolving cast of managers. Are there any positives to say about that strategy? Because it clearly is a strategy. It's what they want to do. It's It's not a reaction to how badly managers are doing necessarily unless their expectations are so high in which case they're never going to settle on a manager so they clearly want this system of bringing in fresh approaches and re-motivating players potentially are there any positives Marley? Uh, I don't I don't know to be honest because it hasn't worked in the past has it you know they go up then they go down then they go up then they go down if they're, they're not far off Norwich in, in fairness I know they survived a couple more years a few years ago I think they were in the Premier League for two two years three years and they got to the FA Cup final and stuff like that um but ultimately ended up where they probably belong Watford and not the not in my opinion one of the best 20 Premier League clubs if I was to pick a perfect Premier League Watford wouldn't be in it mm. um I don't know what I don't know what the positives are because in, the, the guys they bring in are not top class they're all just like relatively unproven they might do well for a bit but ultimately, they're always going to go back to what they've proved so far in their career. Mm. And, you know, Kike Sanchez-Flores is probably the best they've had in terms of, like, what he's done in the game. And even that, he'd only done it in Spain. So you're asking a yeah. you're asking a lot of him to come and replicate that in in, in England. And even then, when he, when he was in Spain, he was sort of like a, a plucky um, Spanish team manager. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he wasn't like a cup winner or stuff like that. He was just sort of middle of the road. It was like, I don't know, like who's a mid-table prime? Like Moyes, like bringing in Moyes from in, from another country. Mm. And it was just like, they they just keep doing that. They had Jukanovic for a bit and they had, um, they had Brendan Rodgers for about eight years Sean ago. Sean Dyche was there, there. 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm. Um, but Deitch failed there and yeah. ended up going back to Burnley, which was, you know... Uh, <laughs> we won't go on to that yeah, this we'll, early we'll on Monday. That, yeah. But who's going to go there? Who's going to go to well, Watford? Claudio Ranieri. Ranieri. It would yeah. look like it. We're expecting him to be... Right, OK. And, and Ranieri went to Fulham. And Ranieri's stock is set now because he won the Premier League with Leicester mm. when it was a 5,000 to one shot. No one expected him or them to do it. And so, therefore... He's set for life. I don't think Ranieri really cares now whether he gets sacked at jobs anymore. Mm. If you look at the jobs he's had since Leicester, do you really think he cares? His career has peaked. He doesn't care. He's an old man now. Mm. He's happy to come into Premier League clubs. Did he go to Roma after Leicester? He did, yeah. He went to a couple of Italian clubs, I think. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you're looking at someone like Claudio Ranieri, which sounds like a big name, because he is, because he's won the Premier League with Leicester and he used to manage Chelsea. But since he left the Foxes, actually, really, all he's done is kind of do a reasonable job here, get sacked there. He doesn't care. Why would he care? You know, if he goes into Watford, he knows he's probably going to get six months. If they don't stay up, he'll get sacked. Okay, thanks very much. Give me a few quid and off I go. And I'm, not calling, I'm not calling Claudio Ranieri a mercenary by any stretch. I think he's a lovely man and actually quite a good manager. But when you go into Watford, you know exactly what you're going to get as a manager. And that is why they can't attract top talent. Yeah, and you that's, use That's going to put people off. It's going to put people off, 100%. And if you look at someone like Chelsea, who I've already mentioned in the same bracket in terms of that hire and fire culture, Chelsea win stuff. Mm. Chelsea are in Europe. Chelsea can attract the likes of Thomas Tuchel, a manager who's also managed elite clubs in the past. They can attract the likes of Carlo Ancelotti, Jose Mourinho, you know, even people like Luis Felipe Scolari, who managed Brazil to a World Mm. Cup win. They managed to attract him to Sanford Bridge in bizarre circumstances. So that's just because of the power and prestige and the nature of Chelsea Football Club. For Watford, unfortunately, they don't have that pull. They don't have that pull in power. They don't have that prestige. And therefore the pool that they've got to pick from in terms of new managers is narrow. Is there potentially a change of tack for Watford here, though? Because, no. I mean, in terms of the way they're making their change, it's a relatively sensible time to make a change going into an international break. It's yeah. kind of you want a manager to have a little bit of bedding in time if you're going to do it mid-season. But normally, Watford's strategy is, as Marley says, they go to smaller teams, they go to different leagues, they try and find new managerial talent and pick that out here mm-hmm. they're going with someone who's tried and tested and got experience I mean the shelf life of a Watford manager is always small they either they're going to get sacked or they're going to get punched well, they do this every time they're in the Premier League they did it last season or two seasons ago with Nigel Pearson mm-hmm. they got him in and they went down so I mean their, their strategy is get someone young and dynamic in to get us up to the Premier League they don't win enough games in the first few seven, eight, ten games they don't win enough of them they get sacked and then you bring in someone else to steady the ship like Nigel Pearson or Claudio Ranieri or someone experienced or whatever it's a flawed method and actually reading some of the Watford fans comments on this a lot of them are saying that they're not too worried that um, Cisco Mignoth has been sacked because apparently he's one of the worst tactical managers that they've seen in that 14 manager period or 10 mm. year spell or whatever it is. I, I don't know whether that excuses the sacking I'm, considering they're coaching, seven points from seven games. badges they've got between them. I mean, you know what I mean? It's, like oh, people are oh, spoiled now. is very poor. You sat on your fat ass eating crisps watching Watford <laughs> at three o'clock in the yeah. afternoon. Oh, well, Danny Rose isn't overlapping or Danny yeah. Rose only overlaps. He should underlap into a Trekatista position. Off. Yeah, <laughs> it's annoying. I know what you mean because, Why you know, this, you is, this is a guy who got promoted to the Premier League and seven points from seven. 15th in the table. I mean, that's... that's I mean, Crystal, Crystal Palace have got Patrick Vieira in, a manager who's relatively unproven and we've expected a reasonable overhaul there. Mm. The fans are actually really happy with how Patrick Vieira are doing. Crystal Palace, seven points from seven games. Brendan Rodgers, Leicester City manager, won the FA Cup last season, only just narrowly missed out on Champions League the last two campaigns. 13th position, 
eight points, mm. a point ahead of Watford. So really, I mean, you could kind of think of it both ways. Don't be surprised that Watford have sacked a manager because it happens all the time. But also, I think that it's harsh. You've mentioned that several times the amount of managers that Watford have gone through over the last 10 years since the Pozzo family took charge. I want to see how many you can identify from the clues that I have fiendishly put together. So I'm going to name... It's kind of a game of who am I, basically. I'm going to give you some who am I clues and you see if you can work out which manager I'm talking about. Okay. okay we're going to start with... If you start with the question, Marley hates him, it could be one of two. <laughs> Might come up later, that. Um, I was born on the Italian island of Sardinia. As well as managing Watford, oh. I have also had spells at Birmingham City and West Ham United. Oh, oh Zola. Gianfranco Zola is correct. Do you know what? Well, I don't know where I pulled this name from, but I was going to go for Walter Mazzari. At oh, first. oh interesting, interesting. So if any answers from now on are Walter Mazzari, <laughs> that is my point. Shout out first. <laughs> Next up. In 10 years, I've held seven managerial posts, including Watford. I was, seg- I was sacked because of a significant deterioration in both focus and results to the point where the <laughs> long-term future of Watford FC had been jeopardised. What the hell? As a result of my departure, Everton paid Watford £4 million in compensation. Yeah, I know who this is. I love a brown brogue. This is Marco Silva. It is Marco (laughs) Silva. Well done. (laughs) I forgot about him. Also, he popped up as Fulham's manager last week. I did not realise. I honestly thought at one point I've gone back to Portugal or somewhere. And then it was like Fulham Fulham tweeted like Marco Silva's... Uh, mighty whites or something I was like what he's there yeah man Marcus I mean Everton wanted him for ages I, didn't mm, they I try and ignore the didn't really work out very well there either right next one my playing career saw me play for Millwall Forest and Bristol City Soren Anderson accused me of eating worms John Deitch <laughs> well done Marley <laughs> <laughs> the last clue for that one was I'm Marley's best mate All right, we'll, do, we'll do one more of these you can get a bit of um, respectability back if you get this one Marley it'll be 2-2 as a player I successfully kept Javier Mascarino out of the team <laughs> oh Hayden Mullins <laughs> correct Hayden <laughs> Mullins caretaker only isn't he how many matches did Hayden Mullins manage for Watford Four. Over two spells? Four. Oh, Correct. Yeah, well done. Did why? he win them all? Don't think so. I, I think he I, I think he won the first two in his first spell and lost the sec the two in his second spell. But that is it. That well done. Congratulations. And I'm sure any one of those managers could return to Watford before the end of the season. Well played, Marley. Well played. Well played. Well played. Good good draw. Fair draw. Right, we're gonna talk next about our heroes and villains, starting with our heroes from the Premier League weekend. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're looking back over the weekend's Premier League action, picking out our heroes and villains. We'll do heroes first and we'll start with you, Marley Anderson. Um... I forgot who's my hero. Oh, Salah. Mo Salah is my hero. Um, for for the simple reason that he's absolutely mint. He's too good at football. Um, one thing that, obviously I was watching the game yesterday, Liverpool against Man City, and, you know, everybody says about top players and everybody waits to criticise them that they don't step up against top teams. And it's one of the criticisms that's followed um, Lukaku all around his, mm. his career and things like that. And, 
I think it's a real sign of an elite player when you can do it against top teams and not just tap-ins or you know scruffy goals that that come to you, but individual goals that, that can only be scored by you and you, your team's relying on you. Um, and when he picked that ball up from Fabinho in, in um, midfield in like 10 minutes into the second half, whatever it was, I, it was just like, right, I'm going, come on, try and stop me. And it was like, skipped away from a couple, slid, slid in Mane, perfect pass, 1-0. And then when they got pegged back, he was like, "Give me that burden again. I'll I'll carry us again. I'll do something." And he, you know, he sat Bernardo Silva down on the floor, skipped in field. Laporte is cons- like Laporte's thinking, "Well, he's gonna go on his left foot, obviously." So he commits himself. He chops it back onto his right foot and still pings in a great finish. Yeah. Past one of the world's best goalies, weaker foot with his weaker foot, which he he gets stick for not using, but I've noticed he started using it a little bit more recently. Um, and yeah, just. That impact is just, that's what you pay the money for. That's what you pay him half a million quid a week for, mm. whatever he's on. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things that Liverpool fans will, will beat you with. They will beat you with that stick that Mo Salah is better than all your team. Um, but they have a point <laughs> when it comes to that because he's by far the best player in the Premier League right now um, and possibly the best in the world right now. Is he underrated? Because we've just had a conversation in the office here at Sports Social Towers uh, and Paul, one of the bosses, said, oh, he's underrated Liverpool's uh, Mo Salah. And I'm not entirely sure he is because you see the goal he scored yesterday, you see the assist yesterday, and you kind of, you almost expect that from him. And if you're expecting that, he can't be underrated, surely? I think he is. I think he is underrated. Um, I'll tell you why I think he's underrated, because Mo Salah recently scored his 100th Liverpool Premier League goal Mm. and his 100th Premier League goal. And I think he was the fifth fastest person to ever do it to reach 100 goals in terms of the amount of games he's played. And that puts him in esteemed company with the likes of, I think, you know, Alan Shearer and Henri and and people like that. Um, But he's also, as Marley says, pretty much a right winger. He can play centrally, but he cuts Mm. off the right onto his left. And if you look at his heat map from the game against Man City, he spent a lot of the time close to the right-hand touchline. You know, if this is a winger who's chipping in with this many goals, you know, you have to put him in the same bracket as someone like, and I am going to say this, Thierry Henry. Because I thought you were going to say Messi there. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Thierry Henry, because Thierry Henry started his career, I think, as a, as a bit of a winger, uh, actually probably on the other side, used to come off the left for Arsenal, find those angles for the shots, and ended up playing more as a, as a not a number nine, but played more of a striker's role by the end of the time he was at Arsenal. But he was still so effective. And the reason why I think Mo Salah is underrated is is not because of the stats or the categories or the comparisons that I've just made. But in fact, he recently scored his 100th Liverpool Premier League goal. And the question has come up a couple of times on social media and various news outlets. Does Mo Salah get into Liverpool Football Club's greatest ever 11? Now, let's not forget, during the sort of mid-70s to the mid-80s, Liverpool were winning lots of European Cups. And they were a very, very successful football club. So if we even narrow it down to the Premier League era, I think Mo Salah gets in Liverpool's best ever Mm. Premier League eleven. But if you're talking all time, I can understand why there are some question marks. But for me, I think you're foolish not to include Mohamed Salah in Liverpool's best ever eleven players. The fact he doesn't really get into some people's best eleven players might be to do with the fact that it's a sentimental thing and he's still playing. And maybe in five years, if when he's left Liverpool, or 10, 15 when he's retired, people will look back and think, bloody hell, Mo Salah was good. Well, let me read you the Liverpool best eleven as voted for in 2020. Just the front six and tell me who he replaces out. Stephen Gerrard, Graham Sooners, John Barnes, Kenny Dalglish, Ian Rush, 
or Luis Suarez? Suarez. Why is Suarez even in that picture compared to? I'm sorry. I was waiting for. I was waiting for someone I could. I could <laughs> latch onto, and it's Suarez straight away. All the others are top players who have uh, rightly take their place in the pantheon of Liverpool legends. And listen, I'm no Liverpool fan. I'm just a neutral Premier League fan here. Mm. But Mo Salah is for what he's achieved. The silverware and the numbers is better than Luis Suarez. He is. I'm sorry, I just don't think you can I just don't think you can dispute that. He was only one percent behind in the vote, by the way. I mean on I the... mean no, listen, I understand Suarez's quality, that's not mm. to denigrate him at all. But Mo Salah has won a Premier League and a Champions League and he's got the numbers to back it up. Probably the, one of the high, best Africans to play in the Premier League. Suarez might have got there though, but he got poached by Barcelona. Like he only but the one thing Henri got poached by Barcelona. Yeah, but Salah only's ne- Salah's only have never got taken because nobody could afford him. Because as we see now, Spain's in in the in the bin basically in in financial terms because they've always gone for for other players. Them and Barcelona, the two teams that can afford him. PSG have never looked at him because they've they had eyes on the younger generation like Mbappe and and then Messi obviously came about. Um, so I think. I think if Salah had came through in 2005, 2006, 7, 8, those, those sort of years, I think he'd have been poached by now. But he, uh, he wasn't. He hasn't been. So that's why he's still there. But in terms of why he's underrated, I think he's underrated because nobody likes to give Liverpool players credit because the fans are awful. Because <laughs> the fan, cause the, Just because the fans want to... He's the best in the world, he's the best in the world. And it's like, well... They are obsessed with people being the it's best It's annoying in the world, when you're constantly beating that drum because it makes people want to... Mm-hmm push back against you and say well you know he's not as good as this guy or that guy but he is and in in fairness to to everyone he's he's best in the world right now i think i think we should look at the numbers between salah and suarez so if you look at luis suarez 69 premier league goals in 110 premier league games mo salah scored 36 premier league goals in his first season then 38 in his second 34 in his third and 37 in his fourth and he's already got seven this season so in total um that takes him to 103 and 165 appearances so actually in terms of goals per game they're almost identical 0.62 goals Mm. per game to 0.63 goals per game so actually they're very very similar in terms of the numbers i just think that the difference is the premier league's harder now than it was when suarez was playing even that was only eight to ten years ago and also salah's got the silverware to back it up so I'd be having Salah in the greatest ever Liverpool eleven. I can see why he's been picked as a hero this week. That goal was quality and uh, he's so important to Liverpool. He's such a good player. Will it be remembered in 50, 60 years? No. As Jürgen Klopp no. said in his post-match press conference. People will be talking about this goal in half a decade. No, because the game finished 2-2. If Liverpool had won, it would have done. Right, let's move on. Let's do another hero. Who's yours, Now I'm going to go for a young player for Crystal Palace. I've mentioned on the podcast before. I'm going to go for someone called Michael Elise. He was just a 19-year-old lad. He's a French lad. And uh, I watched him play for Crystal Palace's academy side. They're under 23s. Maybe about two weeks ago. And he had only just made his Premier League debut the day before, a couple of days before against Tottenham off the bench. And I watched him on a Monday night in an under-23 game. And uh, he was sensational. Crystal Palace under-23s won 6-1. He set up five goals and was unlucky not to score himself. And I know the under-23 league is streets away from the Premier League first teams, and mm. that's probably a gap, a gap and a chasm that needs to be addressed. 
in terms of the academy system, in my personal opinion, I think they wouldn't do too much harm to bring back the old reserve leagues again, to be fair. But certainly, he showed in that under-23 game how good he could be. And uh, he scored for Crystal Palace at the weekend in their 2-2 draw uh, against Leicester. And, you know, he's a young player who Crystal Palace have signed. There's been a lot of talk about Crystal Palace and their recruitment and how they were going to solve the issue of the players out of contract and Roy Hodgson leaving. You know, that steady Eddie, the hand of Roy Hodgson that will keep you, you know, in, in good stead for a long time has been taken away. Patrick Vieira has come in. Naturally, there would have been an air of uncertainty there. And naturally, with the young players coming in, there would also have been an air of uncertainty around them. Eberé Eze is an exciting player, but he's been injured. Nathan Ferguson was signed by Roy Hodgson a couple of years ago, I think now. Hasn't really played because he's been injured the whole time. So in terms of the young players they've brought in, I don't think they've really had a chance to shine. But Michael Elise has come in, I think, from Reading. um, Scored a goal in which was enough to sort of drag Crystal Palace back into the game. They were two goals down to Leicester at the time at the weekend on Sunday and in the end they managed to score again uh, 11 minutes later to make it 2-2 but I just thought that it was a really nice moment for him that only after they beat Spurs 3-0 and he played maybe 10-15 minutes at the end of that game he came on you know he was involved in the game and scored on the hour mark and sort of dragged Palace back in it so it was nice to see a young player who I had only watched a few weeks ago thinking god this lad's Mm. quite good he's just assisted five goals in a 6-1 win that he stepped up from under-23 level to the first-team level and he's proven that he can do it in the Premier League now with a with a neat goal against Leicester City. So he would be my hero just for the, for the fact that it's good to see so many young players at the moment featuring in what I think is the toughest Premier League we've had in many years. Plenty of positives for Crystal Palace at the moment for a manager coming in that we, I think, were universally unsure about how the effect that Patrick Vieira was going to have. But he seems to have integrated a few younger players into that Palace side. He's certainly changed the way they're playing. And it's I mean, the comeback against Leicester City, the comeback from two goals down shows a certain mental strength as well. But it, the suggestion is there's a couple more gears for Palace to go through, Marley. Uh, yeah, there's. I mean, the, the beauty of having a good squad is, uh, sorry, a young squad is that you don't know, you don't know for certain where their ceiling is. You know, they could get better. And better and better, they might finish, you know, twelfth this year. But with with a year's experience in in the likes of Elise and mm. um, Gehi and Ferguson and uh, uh, Eze coming back, you Tyrick know, Tyrick Mitchell started as well for them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's plenty there. Um, they've got a couple of young lads in the um, in the academy as well. The academy's churning churning yeah. out some good stuff. That I think that Raksaki, yeah, yeah in the England under twenty side. So yeah, yeah, he mm-hmm. looks decent. Um, so if you can keep bringing them through, then great. And it's actually something to to look at with Palace and go. You know what? That that could be decent because, as I've said a million times on this podcast, you know, over the the last six months or twelve months, Palace were boring. They had nothing you were excited about. You weren't bothered about. Tuning in, watching Luka Milivojevic, James MacArthur, and James McCarthy, and Ben Teke and AU <laughs> up front. You're not bothered about that. You are bothered. You you will get on the edge of your seat to watch Zaha, Eze if he's playing, Elise, mm-hmm. um, Edouard. These these new players is 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 what Palace need. They need some identity and fair play to them. I think it speaks volumes about Elise as well that he was brought on ahead of the likes of Christian Benteke, and they had Will Hughes, who's also kind of like one of those midfielders who can. Pull strings. He was on the bench as well. Has he still got signing. that beard? What, Will Hughes? Yeah. I've no idea. 
He's, he, he's he didn't got, come on. He didn't come right, on, okay. so I didn't. I didn't really catch a glimpse of him. Last I'm trying year, to look at his photo on had, the Premier League website to see if he's still got it. Last season he had a beard, but he's he's got white facial hair, like, and it just looks yeah. like a bit like Father Christmas. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. It looks like he shaved <laughs> like the beard. Like a 25 year old Father Christmas before he got fat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, fair play to Elise. I thought he was uh, thought he was great. Came on, scored a goal within eight minutes of coming on. So uh, well done to the young man. My final. Hero of the weekend. There's a very quick one. Is Andros Townsend not for his goal <laughs> against Manchester United, the equaliser, but for goal. his celebration, mimicking Cristiano Ronaldo's sweet celebration when he scored. I want to know if everyone now is going to do this at Old Trafford. Is this going to be I a thing? So. Are we going to see every single striker who scores an away goal against Manchester United celebrating in that fashion? Yeah, I hope so. Um, it's just it's there. To, it's there for the taking, isn't it? I think I seen when. Um, when Villa beat them, um, all the fans were doing it outside and like in a little circle and that made me laugh. And then when Man United beat Villarreal, all the Man United fans are doing it outside and it's like, it's just, it's it's a bit weird when it's your player. It's funny when it's against your player because mm. that's good banter, but, you know, a bunch of grown men in £60 Adidas, um, you know, replica jerseys doing, <laughs> doing that of a... You know, doing a a celebration of a of a player is bizarre, but yeah, for for players, the best thing was that Townsend made an absolute pig's ear of it. It was bloody awful <laughs> his his attempted celebration, and then managed think, to try and come up with it out of respect. I think he ran out with of space. a little twinkle in his eye, didn't he? In but, the yeah. in, in the corner of Old Trafford, right? The the, the pitch kind of slopes down. Yeah, mm. it does. Yeah, you don't want to go down that backwards. No, no, and I think he ran out of room, so he kind of botched his uh, he botched his celebration. I think just yeah. to keep himself. On his feet. You can only imagine that Ronaldo is practicing that to make sure he has the perfect amount of space. He's doing he's like an hour of his training every day. He's <laughs> making sure he doesn't run out of space on the old Trafford pitch. Yeah, earlier in his career, it used to be an hour of stepovers and, and free kick practice, and now it's just celebration practice. That was quite funny to see Townsend. But you're right, he came out after and said that, you know, he used to practice being Cristiano mm. Ronaldo in his younger days. And it's easy to forget that, what's Townsend now? 27, 28. So there would have been an eight-year age gap. So, you know, when... Townsend was 10, Ronaldo was 18 playing in the Premier League, so he would have been watching him. It is a feasible yeah. explanation. It makes you feel old, doesn't it? It when, really does. When, when you're looking at players, you're like, oh, you're not that much younger than him, but eight years mm. in your formative years, when you're 14 and you're watching a 22-year-old Ronaldo, you know, he was practically at Ballon d'Or level at that point, wasn't he? So, yeah. The fact that Obviously. Andrew Townsend had to come out and go, and he was accused of being disrespectful, the fact he had to go, oh, it's not disrespectful, does that just show how humourless football has become yeah, yeah, the fact yeah. that someone's everyone's going... <laughs> obsessed with respect aren't they yeah. classy gestures and all of this sort of thing Townsend scored a goal late on and he's ran over to the Everton fans he can celebrate however he wants yeah like, just, you can't it, trademark celebrations no as, I know people will try to it's banter it's fun yeah. it adds a little bit of personality and character to the game I enjoyed it and I want every single visiting striker to do it at Manchester United this season <laughs> right that wraps up the heroes we're going to get on to the bad boys next villains on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Let's do the villains on Football Social Daily. We're going to look at the bad boys from the weekend's actions. I'm going to start first because I'm going to go with Steve Bruce. Marley. <laughs> oh, wow, this is a rare one. Giving you a break from naming him as your villain from the week because I think we've got to a point with Steve Bruce where he needs to go. 
I think Newcastle... Just now? Just now. I think it's finally happened. Newcastle, at the moment, can't buy a win. They look desperately short of ideas, desperately short of inspiration. And you've said this for a while, but I think slowly everyone else is realising it as well. Mm. And I think Steve Bruce, as a manager, kind of gets away with it a little bit because of Mike Ashley, because there is someone worse at the football club than him. And he's clearly a passionate man. He clearly cares about the job he's doing. But I think he just looks desperately out of his depth. And if he respects the football club and he respects the fans and he loves the club as much as he professes that he does, then I think there's a little bit of soul searching, a little bit of self-reflection that he now needs to do. And he needs to admit that he hasn't got the tools in his toolbox to complete the job. And he just needs to walk away because he's not going to get sacked by Mike Ashley. It's never going to happen. So it feels like he just needs to hand it over and go, look, I can't do this. I can't do this job. Because if he stays around, it feels inevitable to me I'd be interested to get your view on this, Marley. I think I know what you're going to say. It feels inevitable that Newcastle are going to get relegated this season. Right. Okay. Well, well <laughs> what do you want me to say on it? Do you think... Is that the case? What, do Steve you think Bruce, we'll get relegated? If Steve Bruce stays, do you go down? Uh, it, I it, honestly think literally it depends on whether Callum Wilson's fit. And Maximum. Because I think we'd have won three games without with, with Callum Wilson. I think we would have won against Wolves. We definitely would have won against Watford. Um, and we probably would have had a bigger shot in most of the other games as well. Um, he is so central to us, but yeah, Bruce is obviously Bruce is a massive problem, but he's never going to walk away. His skin's thicker than anything I've ever seen. He makes rhinoceroses look like you know paper thin beasts. Like he's just he's he's so he's like he's pig headed. He thinks he can turn it round, and the reality of his of it is. He's had 999 games in his in his uh, managerial career, and he's won about 30 percent of them, and that is for one of for one of a better word. That is awful. So he's he's had the worst win rate of any Newcastle manager. Um, he he's had the best squad, in my opinion, since 2013, probably when Pardew oh, had yeah. had Ben Arthur and Kabai and, and Bar and Cisse mm-hmm. and those types of players um, and Colacini and all the rest of them. Um, I I don't believe that our squad is anywhere near the, the one of the, one of the three worst in the league. I think a good manager could get us comfortably 11th or 12th and not be in trouble at all at any point. Um, that person, in my opinion, is and always has been Eddie Howe. Uh, who still remains jobless um, and, by all accounts, seems interested um, in to come in. Don't know why you'd want to come in and What gives and you that impression under. that he's interested? Because it does seem like a hugely poisoned chalice, that Newcastle gig. It's just the talks and stuff, like the the, the sort of rumours that he's been sounded out and he's, and he's open to it if it comes available. Um, he didn't get the Celtic job. Uh, I don't know whether he was in that in that running fully, even though I think he was at one point. But they ended up ended up going for the Aussie guy, that Postacol glue, whatever he's called. But and he's doing crap. So hopefully they don't <laughs> sack him and go back in for how. Um, so yeah, but I you know I don't know where. I think the only point the only point of whether he he would ever get sacked is when we're ten games from the end of the season and we're five points adrift. At mm. which point it's too too bloody late. We've we've made that mistake before. In 2012, 13, when we um, got rid of, uh, uh, can't remember now, but we got Shearer in and you know, he'd give him eight games and was like, go on, <laughs> try and get us out of that. And he obviously we couldn't. Um, 
do you think well, yeah, that, no. do you think there's a concern that the club does it matter if the club go down in terms yeah. of Mike Ashley's strategy because it's always been retain the Premier League at all costs but make sure you don't finish anywhere above Sixteenth. Yeah, <laughs> I think it does matter it, it, because that decreases depends, the yeah. value of the club, and he wants yeah, to get as much money as possible from the Saudis, which is obviously in court at the moment. So we'll find out soon. Is that money on the table anyway? That's that's where it that's where it hinges. Like, is is that price set for the club, regardless of of where it is? Because it's mm. already been offered. You know what I mean? Like, it's already been. I think the, the money was already there. So yeah, I think if Ashley I was the Saudis, I'd be like, if you're in the championship, you're not worth three fifty. You're yeah. probably worth two fifty. Ashley would want to hang on to the original but, offer, wouldn't he? Exactly, because he's, yeah, he's right. stubborn as a mule. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you you know it's a bit of a weird situation, but. We're just kind of locked in. It's like being in, like, it's like being locked in, like, the stocks, and the stocks are, like, falling. <laughs> and mm. you just, you are going on your face, but really slowly, and you can see it coming with Steve Bruce in charge. Um, but I don't know, we've got to get something from somewhere. Hopefully, that's Wilson getting fit again. One final bit on Newcastle before we move on to one of the other villains from the weekend. But is Bruce as unpopular? in the ground as he is out of it because we see from yourself yeah. and on social media there is this vitriol against him but he always claims that he walks down the street in Newcastle and people are shaking his hand and telling him that he's doing a good job no he doesn't he's full of <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> okay right <laughs> alright I'll, I'll give you that for nothing <laughs> okay. he absolutely doesn't um, no not at all okay let's do another villain who are you going to go for now well we mentioned earlier on the Liverpool against Manchester City game and there are a number of people who could be labelled as a villain for me from this. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to it as well with some of your guys' villains. But I thought Paul Tierney, the referee, I thought thought was poor. Mm. James Milner should have been sent off. I don't think there's any question about it. James Milner's dangling leg on Bernardo Silva. By the way, in slow motion, I thought Bernardo Silva was going to seriously hurt his neck the way he landed on his yeah. face yeah, it was did. like when Annie Power tripped at the last in yeah. the ground oh. <laughs> a few years ago if anyone remembers that horse race there but. was no doubt that it wasn't I mean if you're going to dive you don't dive onto your face do you? so that, that kind of removed any kind of suggestions uh, that that was the uh, incident Bernardo had no control of his body no control he was flying he, as well absolutely he was full pace wasn't he which is why he landed on his face and the top of his head and, and you know had to roll over on his shoulder, otherwise he might have seriously hurt his neck. It's a foul from James Milner. It's a yellow card. It's a reckless foul. The ball was gone, and the only intention he had was to stop Bernardo Silva getting to the ball. Mm. And therefore, for me, it's a yellow card. So the referee made a poor decision. It wasn't the only poor decision. I don't want to forensically analyse Paul Tierney and all the mistakes he made during the game. Referees make mistakes. Here we are on a Monday morning yet again, along with a lot of other people who have gone into their office, stood by the coffee machine, had a chat about last night's football and said, oh, so-and-so should have been sent off yesterday. We're talking about referees again, VAR or not. That will never, ever ever change it is a part of the game that we know and love that we will be talking about referees so that's one thing so he could be a villain um obviously there's an incident with spitting which i'm sure we'll come on to i'll leave that to one side for now for me my villain is graham Souness because he awarded a joint man of the match well so did neville on uh, neville sorry oh, not right. Souness. i was sorry. gonna say did he back no. him up jesus no 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 gary neville not graham Souness. apologies gary neville is my <laughs> villain for awarding a joint man of the match I mean, it was a brilliant game. I mean, in terms of my hero, I, I chose Michael Elise, but I could have chosen a, any number of people. During, I thought it was a brilliant advert for mm. the Premier League. What an unbelievable football match that was yesterday. Two top, 
top sides. Two of the best managers in the world for me, you know, certainly of the last five or six years. Two brilliant teams who have had unmitigated success in recent in recent times, playing an excellent game of football where it was cut and thrust. It was back and forth. Liverpool would take the lead. Manchester City would peg them back. Foden was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Mohamed Salah was inspired. James Milner was in trouble with the referee. The referee was terrible. There should have been a red card. It was just so... It wasn't dramatic in the way that, you you know, there was a 90th minute equaliser or anything like that. But it was one of those games. It was breathless. You couldn't take your eyes off it. It was just an, an unbelievable game of football. Perfect advert for the Premier League. Exactly the sort of matches we want to see on a regular basis. And why the Premier League is one of the most exciting leagues in the world. There's no doubt about it. So, I mean, I, I thought it was a brilliant game of football. But to award a joint man of the match, I can kind of see where Neville's coming from. But you just don't do that. Is your, is your frustration that he's got one job? It's not a difficult job to be a pundit. Just and choose a f- player. <laughs> pick one or the other. Who do you think? I assume it was Foden or Salah he went for. No, it was both. Yeah. It was both. Yeah. both. Yeah. yeah, but between the two, yes, Foden was good, but Salah scored a ridiculous goal. But so. at the same point, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, no one really cares who he picks. So yeah, you get champagne yeah. and a few quid Just and, make a, a, and a bar of Cadbury's and that's probably about it. But. Yeah. We'll slide straight into your villain. Um, excuse the phrasing (laughs) we'll ask you to pick your villain just because I think there's a connection between it's the same match so it kind of makes sense to go into yours yeah mine mine is you know it's it's slightly more slightly less obvious and slightly more probably personal but um, mine's Henderson Jordan Henderson Um, number one I thought he was rubbish in the game absolutely useless Um, honestly looked like a, a passenger in that in that game um, but secondly, it links on to the Bernardo um, thing where Milner uh, ended up smashing him and, and taking mm. him out on the touchline. And it was the fact that Henderson turned round and just berated Bernardo. Um, and he, he was, I can't repeat what he said, he was effing and blinding at him and get up, uh, you, you diver and all this. And it just wound me up, the fact that, like... I don't like how tribal football is sometimes. Like, if you can, I'm, I like to watch a game and go, you know, if my player commits a foul, you're like, yeah, it's a foul. Mm. <laughs> you know, you can't, it's a concrete thing that um, a few weeks ago, Newcastle um, Willock should have given away a penalty for fouling Daniel James in the Leeds game. Um, and that was something we got away with. And I admitted that quite, quite comfortably. Um, but this one, it just winds me up when players can't. Players are so tribal, and well, we're the Reds, and the Blues can't have anything. Like you know what I mean? It's like Henderson, you know, Bernardo landed on his face. Milner, Milner was still had his leg pinned into the ground when Henderson is berating Bernardo Silva, and the only reason he's going mad at him is because he got skinned. Like in no space at all, Bernardo took it past him like he just wasn't there. Then beat Milner, then goes down, hits the floor. Uh, Henderson could have heard the impact because he was two yards away from him and still he turned around and gave him loads of pelters and I just thought that's that's just I just don't like it when players do that I know it's part of the game but it's not a part of the game I like um, and on that link to it is the whole spitting incident that has mm. that has now overshadowed the the um, aftermath of that game because there's there's something that um, when Man City scored their, their equaliser through De Bruyne um, one of the fans, one of the Liverpool fans, spat at a member of the coaching staff. 
um, at Man City. Why would you? This do is that? claims from Man City. They've, they've filed. A yeah, board, and yeah. they and they say they've got it on on tape. Yeah, which. <laughs> You know, if they didn't have it on tape, I don't think they'd claim it because it's almost impossible to prove, and they know that. But because they've got it and it's concrete, you know, you only go, you only claim something if you've got concrete evidence that can happen. You know what I mean? It's not something you go into and say we can prove it, and then you don't have proper proof of it. So it clearly happened, um, and this is, and it's just it links into that tribalism. Like, oh my God, they've scored a goal, so I have to spit at somebody who works for them. Like that is it's disgusting. That is bizarre. And the spitting is disgusting at the best of times. We're still in a pandemic. Mm. Like, we're still, you know, not allowed to do certain things. We're not allowed to travel to certain countries. And then you're spitting at somebody. You know, you could ask most people, they'd rather be punched in the face than spat at. There'll be a suggestion that the kind of behaviour of Jordan Henderson on the pitch and the passion he showed and Pep Guardiola jumping up and down on the touchline, waving imaginary yellow cards and shouting in the face of Mike Dean that the behaviour of the players and the managers, mm. they have some responsibility to kind of how the fans then react and feed off that. But we just have to rely on football fans being normal, well-behaved, sensible mm. human beings, don't we? It, you can't, you don't want to take the passion. I mean, that, that Liverpool City game is turning into one of the most competitive games of football in the Premier League at the moment. It's one of the most hotly contested both sets of fans relish that challenge now, relish that game. And you don't want to start telling players that they can't, or managers that they can't show passion on the pitch because it turns the supporters into knobheads. Yeah. Um, you know, what is it at Liverpool? 44, 50,000, something like that. If you say one in every 20 persons a div, you know, that's that's a lot of divs in 50,000, isn't it? You know what I mean? So it's, it's daft. I don't like how... I don't. I'd, I'd never go to a game. I can never imagine getting that angry that my team has conceded a goal in the seventh game of the season that makes it a draw, not even a defeat. That you think, you know what? I'm going to spit at him. It's, it's, I can't it's imagine getting so angry and spit at someone. To be honest, <laughs> only, I mean, I, oh, yeah. I'm disgusted. Why would you ever spit at someone? Like, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Bizarre. If I was the coaching staff, I'd turn around and dropped him <laughs> and caused a full-scale riot at Anfield. Then it would have just got even worse. But, yeah, it's something that just is just rank. Certainly the most worthy villain nomination from the weekend's action. And it'll be interesting to see how the Premier League react to that. And if the Premier League react to that, I mean, what are you going to do? Fines? Bans? It's going to be a ban for the individual that have got it on camera, I guess. That's kind of going to be the extent yeah. of it. You yeah, it has to be. It has to be a ban for the individual. If they get caught and proven guilty, it has to be a ban. Wait and see what happens. And we will report it when it does on Football Social Daily. That is it for today's podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you have subscribed or followed this show wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review as well. It's been a while since we've had a review, so get involved. Get on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it is you listen. Leave us some words of what you think about the podcast. You can even suggest things you'd like us to cover in the future. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.